0: Welcome, good morning, happy Sabbath. We are here and we've been talking about a lot of different things. I, I'm sure you recognize that. We've been talking about worship and the focus and the object of our worship. We've been talking about identity a great deal. We've been talking about um, what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to take on that term Christianity. And today, we're gonna talk about the rules. What are the rules to Christianity? Because there's gotta be some rules, right? You don't you don't join a club without knowing the rules. You don't you don't play a game without knowing the rules. I mean, in fact, what rules did you grow up with? Because I, I guarantee you, if you grew up in the church, there are rules that you You either love or you hate, or you love hate them, or you think that they might not matter, or they do matter, we're not sure. What are we supposed to do? And it's easy to confuse things that are cultural, what is preferred, and what is current, what we like today, with what is really scriptural right? Because any group has a collective memory, and SDAs are no different. We have this collective memory of what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. So if you're new to the Seventh-day Adventist world, you may not understand some of these conversations, but if you are, if if you kind of grew up in it, you know that there were rules. Rules about what you can do on Friday afternoon as the sun's going down. Rules about what you can do on the Sabbath. Rules about how to act, how not to act, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. All these rules and they mattered, and they mattered a lot. And in fact, at times we felt like they mattered so much that even our very salvation might at some point be at stake because we're not keeping the rules in the way that we need to do. I mean, and and sometimes that makes us throw out the rules because we don't want to deal with them anymore, and sometimes we lean into them even harder because we are so concerned. I mean, why do rules even matter? Do we need rules I guess we could answer it with a metaphor, right? A vine needs a trellis. It needs some scaffolding. Rules and propositions are kind of the the trellis. The problem is this, we have a tendency to be more about the scaffolding than the fruit that grows on that trellis. If we are not careful, we focus so much on rules that we've forgotten what they're for. They're, They're to hold up the branch and they're to help deliver the fruit. I mean, what happens when we worship the rules? Have you guys ever played Settlers of Catan? Because my family has tried to play that many different times. Now, the first time we played it, we were like, oh, we got it. We don't really need to know about the rules. And one of my children, like he keeps the booklet with him and he makes sure that we're playing with the rules. Well, the first time, none of us had the time for that. So we played this game and none of us liked it very much. And then the second time, we were like, okay, that wasn't all that much fun. Let's try it again, and maybe we will, and some of you are huge Settlers fans, so I apologize if this is in any way offensive. Um, So the first time, we didn't play it right, and none of us loved it that much, and we thought, well, what are we even doing? The second time, we were like, okay, we're going to know the rules, and we we worshiped the rules so much that that wasn't fun either because we couldn't do anything. We had to come up with, you know, we finally got to the point where we began to play it a little bit more because we didn't have to look up the rules. We kind of internalized, we kind of understood, and then once they became kind of values in the way that we played, then things changed. Now, in our faith lives, and when we look at Jesus, we know that Jesus had kind of a minimalistic sense to him when it came to rules. Now, there are are such famous texts for us who know the faith, and they're really astounding when we see what Jesus was doing with the rules, right? I know what you think. The first rules that you go to are the Ten Commandments. And even if you follow along in some of the study guides, that's some of the stuff we we sort of were thinking about this week. But as I was studying for this particular sermon, I began to realize that the minimalistic approach that Jesus had to rules was way more powerful than the rules themselves. And so we're going to move into Mark chapter 12. And you know these texts. When I start reading them, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Reading from the New Living Transla- Translation, Mark 2, 12, 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. So Jesus had been teaching and debating, answering questions. And the last question that he actually answered was about marriage and what happens when someone dies and what happens in heaven. And he, he kind of goes after it. And so this teacher of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. Now, that's probably an understatement in translation. He realized that Jesus had answered brilliantly. So he asked, all right, you seem to know some things. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Right? Jesus had been in this fencing match, or should we say a lightsaber match, with the teachers of the law. And they were beginning to understand that he really was really bright. His teaching on marriage and heaven was powerful. So this guy asked him this question. And Jesus replied, and he said, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's the one and only God. And of course, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, as it has become to be known. Now, this, this would have put them at ease, right? You answer a question in a way that people want you to answer the question, everybody feels good. Right? So if you're going to flip the script a little bit, if you're going to change things a little bit, start off slow. Don't change things so quickly that people like their necks get broken. You need to go. So Jesus answers and he's like, listen, oh Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God. And they're like, yeah. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. These guys are all traveling along on this journey with Jesus. They're right there with him right? And, and this text, by the way, which again comes from Deuteronomy, is this whole person kind of experience. So when you love the Lord, when you obey his commandments, when you do these things, it's not just like a head ascent. It is a whole person kind of experience with God. Like you're in the whole way. This is what Deuteronomy says, and Jesus is reiterating it. There is nothing that you are to keep back from God, But Jesus doesn't stop. Normally, like, that's it. He can walk away. Everyone's like, that dude, he knows his stuff. But rather than that, Jesus continues. And he says the second is equally important. Now it's starting to get interesting. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So what he's done is he's elevated the communal aspect of love. Something that hadn't been done in such a powerful way before. Now, we know this story that there's the same sort of conversation happening around the Good Samaritan. We're not going to go there today, but we know that there were some schools of thought on whether ritual purity was the most important or whether taking care of people was the most important. Jesus clarifies and says, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. In fact, there are places where he says this is the whole of the law, right? He elevates the need to see each other differently. This goes along with the ideas that the gospel is good news for everyone. See, what Jesus did is he exploded the idea of love. What was once just for a nation is now for everyone. It's it's expanded to the world. There's an expansion of the idea of who and what love is for. And the teacher of the religious law gets it. And you don't see this a lot in scripture. When Jesus is arguing, normally it's they got away, they were amazed, they were angry, they were whatever, and they went away and plotted to kill him. This guy, this teacher of the law replies, well said, good job, yeah, I'm with you. And he says, well said, rabbi, well said, teacher. In other words, I'm assenting to what you're saying, I'm learning from you, right? He's discipling. Jesus is discipling right in the middle of his conversation. And then he says, you've spoken the truth by saying there is one and only God and no other. He's kind of ignoring the second point. But then he continues and he says, and I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. He's still agreeing with Jesus. And then Jesus recognizing and realizing how much this man understood, he says to him, listen, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And then there's this interesting reaction. Remember, I love it when we read about Jesus, but what you gotta do is you have to kind of recognize the responses that Jesus get, not just the words that Jesus says, but the responses that he gets, because he says this, and after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Now, that's an interesting thing to muse upon. Why is it that nobody asks him any questions anymore? because they realized that what Jesus was doing is he was taking a rule and moving it into a value, making it into a value. Because what he's recognizing is that love is never a rule because love cannot be coerced. The truth is when we live by our values, our behavior changes because values are internal. When we live by rules, we begin to look for loopholes. Because rules are external. Values are internal. Rules often are external. And if you are somebody who went to an Adventist boarding academy, you know about loopholes, right? I never went to one. But every friend that I had doesn't talk about how well they kept the rules. What they talk about is how well, how good they were at not keeping the rules. And some of you love your boarding school experience, and so I'm not going to I'm not going to diminish that in any way, shape, or form. I've just found it interesting that what you looked for in those rules were the loopholes. Now, this is a great conversation, but we should ask one more question at least, which is, are these the only rules? (laughs) Just love God, love your neighbor. And yeah, pretty easy, right? And listen, I know what you're thinking right? And maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, shouldn't, sh- don't we need to talk about the Sabbath? Don't we need to talk about honoring father and mother? Uh, you know, don't we need to talk about a plethora of lifestyle issues and things? I mean, it can't be just that simple. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe you have discovered the incredible secret of the gospel, right? Which is not so much of a secret because they tell us about it all the time. That the good news is simple, it's powerful, and the good news is complete and sufficient, Right? But we often hesitate to say that these are the only rules because they don't feel like rules, right? They don't, Jesus didn't say, don't do this. Jesus said, do this. Rules often have a tendency to be at least spoken of in the negative, not the positive. Rules are often about what you can't do. But see, this is the brilliance of Jesus moving what could be seen as a rule to a value. Values aren't about being kept. They're about identity, what kind of person you are. And I mean, we've spoken a great deal about identity and what our identity in Christ is, right? When our values align with his values, we don't think about keeping them anymore. We think about how we are partnering with Christ to bring about those values tangibly into the world, right? More love, more grace. But these rules, values, they preclude certain other things, right? They preclude things like exclusivity, keeping people out, hatred, racism, usury, the sickness of criticism, anger, and protectionism, trying to protect everything that I've got. It also precludes violence and hatred, anger, I know I said that before, and fear, you can't have those things and have those values of Jesus. In fact, if you spend all your time trying to love well, you won't be very good at those other things because you'll be deeply out of practice in anger, deeply out of practice in judgment, deeply out of practice in hate. Because the work of love is all-consuming and when we love well, we find ourselves falling out of those habits of anger and hate-filled speech and excluding other people. To focus on the love of Christ means you don't have time to focus on everything you think you need to protect. There's an interesting story about protection, right? Because I think that's where a lot of this anger and fear and frustration, all those things, it's because we're trying to protect you know, our stuff or our things or our family. And in, in oftentimes in ways that don't necessarily need protection. And I think even sometimes we as Christians can fall into that. Oh, I've got to protect Jesus. I've got to protect what people say. I've got to protect him. Like I need to build this hedge around him because, you know, he needs me to do it. I mean, think about this though. In Scripture, when Peter decided to protect Christ with a sword and caused the damage that he caused, Jesus wasn't interested in that protection. Right? Matthew 26 says, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. We know it was Peter, and we, Peter felt like he had to protect Jesus, but his protection was misplaced. And what does Jesus do? He immediately rebukes him, and he says, put away your sword. Those who use the sword die by the sword. It's probably a warning for all of us. Right? Jesus doesn't need our protection. Jesus has asked for our partnership in showing the world what love really and truly is. But that means we've got to love him first so we learn how to love and then we love other people and that's our practice of love, right? So maybe this is a good question. What rules have you loved too much in your life? Because we sometimes like rules. They organize things. They are that trellis and, you know, rules aren't horrible. They give us safety. But but maybe rather than think about the rules that we love so much or the rules that have made sense to us or the rules that have even protected us, maybe we need to ask a deeper question, which is what are your values? Do they align with the values of Christ? How do they align with the values of Christ? How do they express who Jesus is in the world? And if you're not sure, how can you find out? I'm not saying that rules are superfluous, what I am saying is that rules have a tendency to become much less important when we are living towards our values that Christ has instilled in us. Love, by the way, is not super codifiable. What I mean by that is it's hard to make a rule of love because every time you draw the line and you say, okay, this is the line of love. That's the rule of love. I get, I get to that, end of that line. I get right there. And as soon as I get right there, God opens up an expanse of more love. And I realize that this line of love that I thought I was reaching towards, the line of love that I thought I was making it to, I gotta go further. You've heard me say this before. If, if the measure of love is going, is carrying a, a Roman soldier's pack an extra mile And that's where we create our institutions. And that's when we create our lines and create our rules that two miles is the measure of love. When we get to two miles, you're gonna hear a whisper in your ear of Jesus saying, now you gotta go two more. And we're humans, right? We wanna organize, we wanna codify. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna make a rule of love at four miles. And when we get to four miles, Jesus goes, oh, now you gotta go eight. The good news is Jesus is gonna partner with you to get you to eight miles. He's going to get you to 16. He's going to get you to 32. We can keep doing the math. When our values align with Christ, people begin to see Christ in us because our behavior conforms to our values and is not imposed on us, but it expresses from us. It becomes what we bring into the world, what we incarnate into the world are the values that align with Jesus' values. So, if you're looking to Scripture to find the rules, you'll find lots of them. But the words that came out of Jesus' mouth is the most important too: Love your God. Love your neighbor. It really is that simple. That's not easy. Simple is not always easy. But it is profound. So maybe stop trying to figure out what you're supposed to do here and what you're supposed to do there and realize that the overwhelming value of love is how you're supposed to live and then move accordingly. And if you're not sure if you're doing it, ask around. Do you feel loved when I'm around? Do you feel more loved? Because if you do, praise God, you're living those values aligned with Christ. But if you create chaos, if you create anger, if you create gossip, all that, then it's time to recalibrate, it's time to realign. And the good news is that every moment of every day, every decision we make, we have another opportunity to align our values with those of Christ. You've heard me say this many times, but Eugene Peterson says, you know, the life of a disciple is a long obedience in the same direction. And so that's what we strive for. Sure, we get distracted and we try shortcuts and we try to find loopholes, but there's no loophole to love. There's only love. You have been loved. So love well, as well. Let's bow our heads. Lord, you, you, you made these rules easy and so difficult because they require more and more of us. But Lord, you continue to fill us up. May you align our values with yours. May ours become as unchanging as yours, and may we act accordingly so that people may see who you are. Lord, thank you for not making this algebra. Thank you for not making this rocket science. Thank you for making this as simple as loving you and loving others. May we do better. May we do well. May we love well. In your name I pray, amen.